All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We start today with the rising tensions on the Russian-Ukraine border. Russia has amassed more than 100,000 troops on the border, fears of an invasion. What should Canada do? Should Canada send military weapons to defend Ukraine? Should Canada stay out of it? Now, this one is heating up now peace rallies planned for this weekend on the other side the opposition conservatives in ottawa saying canada should send lethal defensive weapons to ukraine okay we've got an awesome panel standing by on this but first have a listen to prime minister justin trudeau speaking yesterday he announced an expansion of a training mission in ukraine have a listen with rising tensions and unwarranted russian aggression canada will be there to provide ongoing support to Ukraine so that it can defend itself. Today, I've authorized the extension of Operation Unifier for three more years and the expansion of this training mission as well as immediate support. This is a $340 million commitment. As part of it, I've authorized the Canadian Armed Forces to deploy 60 personnel within days to join the approximately 200 women and men already on the ground, with further capacity to increase the number of people on the ground up to 400. All right, let's discuss now with our panel. we got both sides of it for you. Eves Engler is with the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Hi, Eves. How's it going? It's going good. Thanks a lot for doing this. Also on the line is Yaroslav Baran, past president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. Yaroslav, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Good to be here. Okay, thank you to both of you guys. Yaroslav, let me go to you first. You heard the Prime Minister there announce an expansion of a training mission in Ukraine. Is that adequate? Well, no, it's not adequate. Obviously, uh, all Canadians should be, uh, should be pleased to see a level of support from Canada for this European country that has been on a road to democracy and to modernization and to European organization that's being bullied by an aggressive superpower neighbor. But they need more than what Canada has offered. We've offered essentially non-lethal. Uh, we've offered things like, you know, night vision goggles, uh, helmets, you know, body armor. But they need more than that. They need serious help. And more importantly, the Russian aggressor needs to see serious deterrence. They need to see the West standing up behind this this neutral, uh, you know, victim country, and to know that uh, that the West will not tolerate Ukraine being so, pushed around. So, you think that Canada what should send weapons over there? Well, what other countries have been doing, notably the United Kingdom, uh, the United States, they've been supporting with anti-tank arm armaments, for example. This is not offensive weaponry. This is defensive weaponry. It's not as though Ukraine's right. going to invade Russia, for heaven's sake, with, with anti-tank yeah. you know, missiles. But should the Russian army advance across the border and begin an invasion, Ukraine will have the kind of armaments necessary to try to repel okay. that kind of an invasion. Okay, Eve, Eve Engler, what do you think? I think the Canadian government is stoking tension with Russia. I think the Canadian government has been doing this for decades. I think the uh, NATO expansion onto Russia's border, the fact that there are uh, 500 Canadian troops in Latvia on Russia's border, the fact that this is all contrary to promises made uh, at the end of the uh, Cold War, uh, is, is just a sign of the fact that we have a government 
that is more interested in uh, the arms industry uh, following Washington and a militaristic policy that um, that we should reject. We have real security concerns in this world. Uh, it, they're not helped by uh, sending more weaponry, by sending more military trainers, uh, by you know sending naval vessels. We got we got fighter jets in Romania, naval vessels in the Black Sea. Uh, you know people complain about Russia's military. I think that you know there's need for de-escalating Russia's military, but the reality is Canadian troops are on Russia's border. Russian troops are not on Canadian border. And the and, uh, and U.S. is, you know, 10 times more. Uh, this aggressive posture is, is not no help for humanity. Um, Yer- so we need okay. to de-escalate. Yaroslav, what do you say to that? Look, um, I, I, have, I have no doubt that things like peace rallies or isolationist thinking may be well-intentioned, but they are misguided. Look, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned to hear the kind of talk that we heard, you know, in the United States 100 years ago before the First World War. Not our fight, not our part of the world, you know, or that we heard in Europe throughout the 1930s. Don't poke the bear. It's not our fight. Stay out of it. Leave him alone. Maybe he'll back off. And then what happened? We saw Germany first invade the Czech Republic. Then they invaded Austria. Then they invaded Poland. And eventually the world said, okay, for heaven's sake, enough. So this kind of, you know, it's not our fight, leave it alone. Where does it lead? Especially with this kind of an imperialistic aggressor. All it does is spur them on. It sends a signal that they can get away with it. Russia has already, they've already, they've already invaded and annexed Crimea from Ukraine. They've already invaded Eastern Ukraine. And unless there's an international, like whatever, Pull this out of a NATO discussion or whatever. Unless there's an international message. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me let me get let Eve have a chance here. Go ahead, Eve. NATO spends one point one trillion dollars on military. Russia spends sixty one billion on military. We're talking about twenty times the Russian military budget. NATO bombed Libya in 2011, destroyed Libya. NATO went to war, tens of thousands of Canadians in NATO mission in Afghanistan. NATO bombed uh, the former uh, 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 Serbia, former Yugoslavia in the late 1990s. NATO is an incredibly aggressive uh, alliance that now is going to have troops stationed on Russia's border and Russia's not going to be concerned about that? I mean, are are we serious? Like, if you okay, want to turn get, Ukraine into a proxy, a, a Washington and Ottawa's proxy against Russia, if you think that's good for Ukrainians, I don't know what to say. I mean, you want, you want a nuclear war over, over you know, turning uh, uh, Ukraine into proxy rather than dealing with the real problems in the Ukraine. There are real linguistic divisions. There are minority uh, linguistic rights, conflict in the East. Yes, let's deal with those problems. There are proposals on the table to deal with those problems. Okay. The next agreement being one. Yaroslav, go ahead real quick. We'll, then we'll take a well, break here. You know, I get that he doesn't like NATO. He doesn't have to. But Putin is an ex-KGB chief and a black belt in judo. It doesn't matter what the balance of armaments is. He's trained to wait and look for weaknesses and vulnerabilities and then strike. So you can fight a bigger opponent, but if they're disorganized and if they don't have the resolve, then you can still you can still win. And I'm curious to know what Eve's message would be to Ukrainians. Just, okay, so I don't like NATO. So you get to be raped and pillaged and burnt to the ground because I don't like NATO. I don't I don't follow the logic in that. 
All right, welcome back as we continue talking about the rising tensions between Russia and Ukraine. What should Canada do? Should Canada send military assistance to Ukraine? Should Canada stay out of it? Both sides of it here for you. Eve Engler, Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. Yaroslav Baran, past president, Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. Uh, guys, just before we go to some phone calls, Eve, do you want to respond real quickly to Yaroslav's point before the break? Like he said, what, what would be your message to the people of Ukraine as, the, as they're threatened here? Well, I mean, I think that there are uh, the, the Minsk agreement uh, around autonomy for the East, the ru- largely Russian-speaking East of the country. Uh, if, the, if the Canadian government wasn't so keen on on weakening Russia and a long history of targeting Russia, Canada actually has some expertise in questions of uh, minority linguistic rights and questions of federalism that I think we could we could you know, assist with rather than this. Uh, let's use Ukraine as a proxy against Russia. Okay, let's squeeze a couple of calls in here. Seamus on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Seamus, go ahead. Hey, guys, just a quick question on the point of what what do we say to the people of Ukraine? I mean, what do we say to the people of Taiwan? What do we say to the people of Hong Kong? You know, we have countries in the world where we have close trade deals with and we conveniently stand down because we don't want to ruffle any feathers or, quote-unquote, poke the bear. But I think, you know, we're not saying this is somebody else's fight. Let them fight their fight. We're saying let's not agitate other superpowers in the world and, and you know, it, 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 pretend to be all good. But there's actual stuff that's going on that we, we actually say, you know what, we're not going to get involved in that because it's in our best interest. So okay. I, don't, I don't take this point of what do we say to the people of Ukraine. Like, that's BS. That's cover-up. Okay, Yaroslav, what do you say to that? You know, interesting, and I, and I respect that perspective. And we've always seen isolationists. Uh, thought in political discourse. Uh, you know, Eve, Eve mentioned that there are problems in Ukraine. Sure, there are. It's still struggling to recover after 300 years of Russian domination and you know, almost a century under the Soviet Union that decimated its civil society and and uh, and and and, and, uh, and democratic freedoms. But Russia under Putin is is quintessentially a fascist state. There's no freedom of political dissent, no journalistic freedom, no free elections, no LGBTQ rights. The list goes on and on. That's what we are appeasing when we say stay out of it. It's not our fight. Don't don't poke the bear or rather run away when the bear pokes. And I get that it takes courage to stand up to bullies. It was easier for Neville Chamberlain to turtle in the 30s than it was for Winston Churchill to say no this cannot be tolerated. Okay, it takes Eve. a lot, a lot of courage, but sometimes, it, sometimes you need to take those steps. Eve, go ahead. It, 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 it's an interesting isolationism when we talk about the U.S. empire having 800 military bases around the world, when the British have about 100 around the world, where even Canada has military bases in Kuwait, Senegal, and Jamaica. We have troops on in Latvia. We have uh, fighter jets in Romania. We have naval vessel in the Black Sea. What kind of isolation are we talking about? The reality is, is the bear in this world is in Washington. That is the bear. That is the the main imperial force in this world. That's not to justify everything that Putin does or the Russian government does. Of course not. You know, as someone who wants demilitarization, I want demilitarization in Russia as well. But the reality, again... NATO, $1.1 trillion in military spending, about $780 billion from the U.S. alone, and, and Russia, $61 billion. That's what we need to focus on, is demilitarizing uh, the, the NATO-Canadian-American side. Yaroslav. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you raised the, the issue of demilitarization, because one, one forgotten element of all of this 
is the Budapest Memorandum signed in 1994. Remember, back in 1991, the Soviet Union broke up. Uh, most of its countries declared, most of the constituent countries declared independence, became sovereign states. And Ukraine at the time suddenly overnight became the world's third biggest nuclear power. That kicked off years of intense international negotiations to denuclearize, and it finally, finally was settled with the Budapest Memorandum in 1994, whereby Ukraine willingly gave up its nuclear arsenal in exchange for guarantees of security, territorial integrity, and sovereignty by the U.S., the U.K., and Russia. So there is an mm. existing treaty, international treaty, signed in 1994, whereby Ukrainian, the Ukrainian state denuclearized in exchange for security guarantees so that the kind of stuff we've been seeing in Crimea, in eastern Ukraine, and now in northern okay. Ukraine, would not happen. So Let's, the West uh, actually has an obli- obligation to step in here. Let's uh, squeeze in one more call while we can. Leslie in Burnaby. Leslie, please be brief. Go ahead. Well, under Stephen Harper, if you remember, uh, Russia said, Canada, I'm taking your Canadian oil and your your minerals, etc. That's not your land. That's anybody's land. And Harper went hunting for the Explorer boats, and they finally found them to prove it was Canadian shores, but they said they're coming. So your point is? Uh, Hey, up with, with, uh, well, it's not a nice way to put it. Uh, fight for uh, fight for the Ukraine, Canada. Fight and for U- Harper, or not Harper, but Trudeau. Act like a man, not a two-year-old. Okay, fight for Ukraine. Eve, your thoughts? Well, got a minute. You got a minute left. I'm going to get Eve. I'll give you one minute, and then I'll give uh, Yaroslav one minute to wrap up. Go ahead. You got a minute, okay? I, I, I mean, that, that's exactly the kind of rhetoric uh, we're, we're seeing. You know, be be a man. Well, what does be a man? mean pushed towards a uh, uh, nuclear weapon uh, you know war war between two nuclear weapon states i mean the us has nuclear weapons in a number of european countries we do we think that's a good thing no that's not that's not a good thing we need to negotiate there needs to be a negotiated solution to this which which of course has internal ukrainian elements to it but it also has uh, okay. uh, broader european elements which is and we should put let's why why does nato exist NATO was supposed to be this defensive arrangement against uh, against the, the Soviet Union. Why why thirty years later uh, this NATO says this? And in fact, it's becoming more and more aggressive. Do okay. Canadians want that? Uh, Yaroslav, go ahead. You got thirty seconds here. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, I'm, I don't know what to say in the face of this kind of you know neo-Marxist revisionist perspective of history with us as the bad guys. Like Ukraine, a country the size of France, is being batted around like a pinata by an imperialist, ultra-nationalist regime in Moscow. Russia's the aggressor. We can't, we can't debate that. It's, it's self-evident. So the question is, does the world stand by and watch it happen? Or, as we did, as we all did in the late 30s, say, okay. enough is enough, this will not stand. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the hot-button environmental battles that are going on in our province right now, the campaigns to stop pipelines and old-growth logging, and what are some of the current tactics being employed here? Well, 
blocking roads, highways, and bridges is one of them. And we see this frequently in Metro Vancouver and elsewhere in B.C. Yesterday, anti-old growth logging activists blocked the Horseshoe Bay Ferry Terminal. Why are they doing this? What do they hope to achieve? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's go back a few months here now. Remember when there were protesters blocked the Port of Vancouver? Why did they do that? Well, this is how blockade organizer Natalie Knight explained it at the time. Have a listen. We're blocking one of the entrances to the Port of Vancouver. Uh, significant because it's an economic disruption and we recognize that uh, the government tends to only understand the language of money so disrupting capital and the flows of goods is a language that they will understand okay but of course it inconveniences the public it's some people upset here's what port coquitlam mayor brad west had to say about it it's just completely unacceptable Um, the people who are the target of this action are working people in our community who are doing nothing more than trying to get home to their family. Uh, And they're the ones who are paying the price for this action. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Julia Torgerson. Julia, as an environmental activist, she super glued herself to a highway the other day in the campaign to stop old growth logging. Hi, Julia. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing really great. Thank you for doing this. When uh, When did you super glue yourself to the road? Um... It was last Thursday morning, um, and again yesterday morning. Oh, so you, you super glued yourself again yesterday? I did, yeah. I didn't yeah. learn my lesson the first time, I guess. <laughs> okay. Where did you do that? <laughs> uh, so the first time was the intersection of East Hastings um, coming off of Highway 1, and then yesterday was the, the like, on the way to the ferry terminal at Horseshoe Bay. Right, and when you uh, when you super glue yourself, I mean, are you putting it actually on your your actual skin, or is it on your clothes? Like, how do you how do you actually do that? Yeah, so basically, um, we'll be sitting on the road. We'll wait for the cops to arrive, and just as the cops roll up, I'll take out a, a tube of super glue and glue it right on the palm of my hand, directly on the ground. Okay, on the palm of your hand, and why why do you do that? I mean, it's kind of an obvious question, but you you explain it to the listeners. Why do you do that? Uh, we do that because no matter how many times we seem to do it, the police never know what to do. Um, so when they arrive, they can't just quickly arrest us and move us off the road. They have to actually make some phone calls, get the fire department, get somebody to bring solvent. And it probably has us sitting in the middle of the road for an extra 20 minutes each time. Um, so it just kind of allows traffic to build up a little bit more, allows, allows us to like, spread our message longer so that's why we do that right now and i understand um the first time you super glued yourself to the road last week that it was you describe what happened like it was painful when the police officer removed your hand from the road is that correct yeah it was actually a firefighter that came to remove my hand from the road so there were Four of us that had opted to be arrestable that day, and me and one other lovely lady decided to actually super glue our hands to the road. Um, so, yeah, we waited until the cops arrived and went ahead and did it. And then they didn't believe that we had super glued our hands. So, basically, they were accusing us because our fingers were moving, but we'd only super glued our palms. And they just they refused to believe it. So, they, you know, were kind of pull on our arms and just kind of antagonize us a little bit and freak us out. But... Uh, they did end up calling the fire department, but when the fire department arrived, they told them that um, that we were lying. 
like just straight up they're lying their hands are not super glued to the road so i think this fireman became a little bit unhinged he was he was really mad that his time was being wasted um so he came up to me he told me i know you don't have your hand glued to the road i know that you're lying so I told him, I was like, no, like, I, I swear to God, I promise you, I tried to show him, like, my hand is stupid with the road. Uh, so he grabbed my arm and he, and he jerked it. So it ripped it about 50% off the road. And I, I was like, ow, like, that hurts. Um, please stop. And he said, well, what do you want me to do? And he had, he had a bottle of, like, solvent in his other hand. So... I was being a little cheeky, but I was like, I don't know, maybe use the solvent in your hand. Um, he was really mad. Yeah. So he, he uncapped the solvent and dumped it all over me. He dumped it on my arm. He dumped it on my leg. He, pretty much everywhere except my hand. Um, and then he just, he ripped it off the road, taking a lot of chunks of cement with it and told me that's what you get. And he just walked away, and then I was arrested immediately after that. Okay, so Julia, for, for people who are listening to your story right now, and I don't know, maybe some of them, some people support you, I'm sure, but others would, I think a lot of others would be saying, like, come on, maybe shaking their head, like, you know, mm-hmm. why are you doing this? Because you're just inconveniencing people, you're tying up police and firefighting resources, you're making people late to work, who knows, maybe they're going to a hospital appointment, and you're gluing yourself to the road to inconvenience them. Like, why? Like, what is the point? What do you, how can you, how would you explain it to someone who's been inconvenienced by that? Totally. So obviously we acknowledge and realize the fact that it is not the public's fault (laughs) that old growth logging has not been deferred. It's not at all their fault. So we don't want to be blocking the roads. We make that very clear. We don't enjoy getting up at 5 a.m. and doing this. Um, but the reason that we do it is because we've, we've petitioned, we've marched, we've chained ourselves to the trees, we've camped out on the land, we've called our local and federal government. We've tried absolutely everything leading up to this point. And it's, it's not a decision that was made lightly. It, it was very calculated. And the idea is, is to put a lot of pressure on the government because we've told them that we're going to do this three times a week with increasing severity until they like hold themselves to their campaign promise. Um, so it really sucks for, for people who are on their way to work and on their way to school. And we're not trying to punish them, but it is the, like a big civil diso- like disobedience and like disturbance yeah. is the only thing that's going to get the government's attention, unfortunately. All right, Julia, thank you for telling the story. I appreciate it. I'm also joined now by Zane Hack, who is a Vancouver organizer with Extinction Rebellion, uh, one of the groups that organizes these blockades. Zane, thanks for coming on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so I'm listening to Julia tell her story, and she's saying this is like the only way they can get the attention of the government, get the government to move. I I suggest to you that so many people would be opposed to these type of tactics and so angry at it that there's no way the government's going to cave in. I think maybe, if anything, you get the government even more obstinate to stand their ground because most of the public is is, is, is so mad at these tactics. But your thoughts? Well, you know, the tipping point when it comes to these types of actions is historically quite binary. So people hate you and you lose and you lose and you lose. And after a certain point, the pressure is too high and the tension in the community is too high that the government has to cave. So we saw the example of this with the Freedom Riders. Like, most people hated the Freedom Riders who were demanding the desegregation of interstate busing. 
And when they were beaten up by the mob, when they were disrupting the social space of the public, when they were disrupting the transit, they were beaten up by the public and the ambulance drivers didn't want to take them to the hospital. So it's a bit, yeah. it sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? So it's, Martin Luther King, as I mentioned last time, was hated by most of the public. That's part of changing society, is that you have to build a certain amount of hostility towards you. And because we are objectively right, because everyone agrees that murder is wrong, rape is wrong, and sending the next thousand generations to hell is wrong too, uh, after a certain point, if we keep persisting in our transgression, it, we will bring the public along. But initially, we know historically that we will be hated by most of the public, and we will be hated by the government. But that's besides the point. The point is to raise attention in society to a point where uh, we have to address an issue that we fail to address. We're in a moral, we're in a severe moral, moral crisis right now because we're sending the next thousand generations to hell and we're not uh, reconciling ourselves to that fact. All right, welcome back to the show. We're continuing to talk about environmental road blockades. Zane Hack and my guest. I'm joined now by Bill Dumont, a retired forester in BC. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hey, Bill, thanks for coming on. Morning, Mark. Mike. Thanks for having me. Hey, Bill, what do you think of these road blockades? Do you, do you think they achieve anything other than just, I don't know, pissing people off? Nothing. They achieve virtually nothing. It's, uh, it's actually crazy stuff. It's, uh, you know, this past summer, a couple of uh, the protesters at Ferry Creek glued themselves together, never mind gluing themselves to a tree, and they got really badly infected by, uh, by sharing the blood between each other with the glue. It was just crazy stuff, and uh, I don't think the public uh, is enjoined or this this calling uh, down of a uh, Martin Luther King in the comparison with old growth is just silliness and the government never did promise to shut down all old growth logging they did shut down a big chunk of it but uh, you know it's it's just craziness okay, Zane what do you say to that well look we all like to hide behind our roles and responsibilities and our jobs when we're dealing with extreme injustice but what we need to realize is that before we're foresters before we're teachers and journalists we're all uh, citizens and human beings and sir, sir david king who's a former chief scientific advisor to the british government has said we've got two to three years left to save humanity and we need to take that seriously and we need to do whatever it nonviolently takes to bring attention to this issue and make sure that it's dealt with and quite frankly like people are gluing themselves to the road and to the trees because they're terrified that their kids might face starvation in the next 20 years because of food shortages when we go over two degrees increase in global average temperatures. Does, does, anyone, so, any, does anyone really believe that in 20 years people are going to starve, that, that human beings are going to be wiped out as a species? I no. mean, this is just so over no. the top, Zane. Come on, man. No. Two degrees increase in global average temperatures is now locked in over the next 20 years, which means large parts of the world will be seven degrees on average on land, which means it's going to be over 30 degrees on a hot day. And when it's over 30 degrees consistently, you can't grow food, right? There are many peer-reviewed papers on this. You can grow food over 30 degrees of temperatures so where consistently. Does, where does old growth logging fit into that in BC? Into that well, equation? because these are important carbon sinks that we have. And it's almost like, this is what I mentioned last time, the Earth's atmosphere is a gas chamber, and we've been putting a poisonous gas in it, and now we're sort of uh, tightening all the holes, uh, and we're sort of tightening all the filters, and we're removing all the filters by uh, cutting down the last old growth. 
and civil growth is about uh, actually... This is just uh, more crazy stuff. When, before the uh, Europeans arrived in B.C., it was estimated about uh, half of the province, this forest, or about 25 million hectares were old growth. After 150 years of commercial logging, there is still roughly half that area as old-growth forests. So the suggestion that there is no old-growth is simply a lie. There is a huge area of old-growth forests, and there's going to be more protected. But the idea that uh, we can't harvest any trees is just ridiculous, especially for the 120 First Nations and their businesses who hold forest tenure in B.C. and harvest timber. I think, Mike, there's a really interesting quote from the three judges who renewed the Ferry Creek injunction yesterday. He said, This is about significant and persistent unlawful conduct by those who choose to abandon the democratic process and impose their will on others by force. This is what they said, and this is what the game is that these people are playing to block highways. What do you say to Zane? What do you say to the democratic process? Zane. Yeah, so it's only in a superficial democracy that you go to the ballot box once every few years and vote. In a true democracy, you have a moral obligation when you're faced with criminal governments to tell the truth to the public. And what we're doing is that we're we're not, yes, because we're looking at two degrees increase in global average temperatures now locked in, which means mass starvation and the societal collapse of Canada. Okay, so you've got obligations as a Canadian to resist uh, criminal government and right Part of now, my career was minute, spent minute, in managing tropical rainforests yeah. in Borneo. Okay. And we so had got... temperatures there that were over 30 degrees regularly, and your comment about not growing vegetables in that climate is stupid. People, got... that's, that's what they, they have to live sir, with, are those warm sir temperatures. So you're talking. Okay, guys, I'm going to insist you don't speak over each other. Zane, go ahead. Sir David King, who's a former chief scientific advisor to the British government, has said we've got two to three years left to save humanity. We've got obligations as Canadians to, to, to each other to tell the truth to the public. And this is what we're doing, is that we're non-violently disrupting the public, and we're engaging in a democratic process of waking up the public to the fact that we're sending our kids to hell, which is, which is what's going what is, on. What is, what, is demo, what is democratic about blocking a, illegally blocking a because, highway? Because because we're engaging the public in this debate, okay? And there's a long, honorable tradition of doing this. When the civil rights movement was on the go, they were disrupting the public. They weren't doing bad things to bad people. They were disrupting the public because they were dealing with an apartheid regime, and the public wasn't recognizing that. Okay, Bill, go ahead. The government that's destroying the country. Right. The other day, um, the people who manage woodlots in B.C., these are farmers and families who have a small area of crown forest to log. And this recent uh, announcement by the government to save old growth is going to affect 90% of these farm woodlots that people grow and manage trees on. These are small operators with less than a thousand acres of timber. So, you know, this idea that somehow by shutting down logging, you're going to not affect other people is just ridiculous. I mean, these licenses have been in place for over 70 years, and they're managed responsibly and sustainably, and they have old growth in them. But now this new announcement is going to really hurt them. And that, that to me, is the injustice here. Zane, you got 20 seconds here to reply. Go ahead. 
We've got, got two it. to three years left to save humanity, okay? We can't afford the luxury of pure critique. Everyone in Canada right now has an obligation, a moral right. and a legal obligation to enter into resistance, and that's what Save All Growth is doing. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about Canadian music legend Neil Young now. His music is being removed from the Spotify streaming service after the Canadian singer-songwriter objected to his songs playing on the same platform that offers the podcast of Joe Rogan. Neil Young had said that Spotify was distributing misinformation about COVID-19 through Joe Rogan's podcast. You basically put down an ultimatum. It was either me or Joe Rogan. And he got his wish. He's off Spotify now. Have a listen to this report now from CNBC. Spotify removing Neil Young's music after he demanded the streaming service pick between him and Joe Rogan. The podcast host has been accused of spreading misinformation about COVID and vaccines. Neil Young's music catalog spans more than five decades and includes hits like Heart of Gold and Harvest Moon. The artist gained millions of plays on Spotify. But in an open letter posted to the site, his site today, Neil Young said the platform has become a damaging force for misinformation and lies about COVID. A representative for Spotify issued a statement writing in part, we want all the world's music and audio content to be available to Spotify users. We have detailed content policies in place, and we've removed over 20,000 podcast episodes related to COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic. Well, now Neil Young said, you can't stream my music. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Eric Alper, the Canadian music publicist and commentator. That Eric Alper on Twitter, where he has nearly 800,000 followers. I'm proud to be one of them. Eric, thanks a lot for coming on. <laughs> well, thanks for following. Look, keep in mind, I have three friends in real life. So, you know, <laughs> per- perspective on everything, yeah. Okay, okay, Eric, what do you think of this whole Neil Young episode? Like, I, I read one anal- analyst yesterday who said Neil Young wanted to cancel Joe Rogan, and he ended up getting canceled himself. Do you, do you think this thing backfired on uh, Neil Young at all? No, I, I think it played out exactly how everything should be played out. Look, Spotify um, is is right in the middle of the road. They have Joe Rogan on one side, and then they'll also have the podcasters like Michelle Obama on the other. Um, But, you know, seemingly what we're finding out is that there is no middle path. There is no way to be any social media or music streaming platform or TV or movie platform like, say, Netflix, and not be caught up in the political divide of what's going on. And you're either, you know, to the left and liberal or you're conservative to the right. But, you know, Neil Young has every right to remove his music from wherever um, the rights holders, which are partly him, partly the record label, um, wants to, you know, distribute it. And Spotify has every right to say, well, you know, we're not a government-run agency. We don't have to cancel people. This isn't censorship. But we are going to, you know, keep our alliance towards somebody that they have spent $100 million for over four years, five years, um, to be on the platform. And that's Joe Rogan with the exclusive deal. So, you know, Neil Young's not an idiot. He knew eventually, sooner than later, he's going to have to make that decision to put his money where his mouth is and get off of Spotify. 
Yeah, and you heard in that report, Eric, that their Neil Young has had millions of plays and downloads on Spotify. Now he's not on Spotify. Does this end up costing him a lot of money as a result? I think it's costing him a lot of headaches more than anything else. You know, one million streams on Spotify is roughly about four thousand dollars to the rights holder. So he was averaging about six million streams a month. So that's about twenty-four thousand dollars a month. Um, Joe Rogan pulls in probably that much in an hour. Now, Neil Young could pull in that much in an hour doing one concert, at least. So it's not going to cost him money. I think what it, it will end up costing him is just a little bit of a headache to ensure that his new, his new releases and his older fans have the ability to continue to listen to his music, um, whether it's through Apple or iTunes or through his website. He's always a big proponent of better sound quality in the world and his website offers that so maybe this is just you know maybe forcing his hand a little bit more to make sure that people go to his website and download and buy the music the way that neil wants to intend it but again i don't think that this is that this was a ploy to get more cd sales off of his site i think he just wanted to take a stand and said look enough is enough when it comes to misinformation on covid yeah, I mean, that's, he certainly made that clear. And speaking to Eric Alper, the Canadian music publicist, we're talking about Neil Young's catalog being pulled from Spotify. When Neil Young, when he made this ultimatum effectively to Spotify, Eric, basically saying it's either me or Joe Rogan, it, was that a no-brainer for Spotify? I mean, Joe Rogan is absolutely huge, right? I mean, he's bigger than Neil Young these days, is he not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, uh, Spotify's podcast division, it's solely based on success, Joe Rogan. It's why they paid him $100 million over over five years. He brings everybody else to the platform. Um, but, you know, Spotify also has a hate content and hateful conduct policy. They say that they've removed over 20,000 Spotify podcasts in the past for misinformation when it comes to COVID or hate material they have not done that or at least come out and said that with any of joe rogan's podcasts although not every single joe rogan podcast in the past is available there are some people like alex jones or jordan peterson who are pretty controversial whenever they appear you really can't find their older podcasts um on spotify now did it cross that conduct rules Spotify never really revealed that. So there is policy in place. They're just choosing maybe not to, you know, pull the trigger per se on somebody like Joe Rogan for this particular thing. Hey, Eric, last question for you. A lot of people enjoy streaming their music. Spotify, obviously a very popular platform. Now that Neil Young is not on that Spotify streaming service, for people who do want to stream his music, is there somewhere else they can they can stream his his music? Other than Spotify, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think going to his website is always great. Um, you know, wherever their their choices, YouTube still pays royalties. Either way, however they want to consume Neil Young's music, he's still getting paid for it either way. He's just choosing yeah. to maybe not be on the platform. That's the biggest in the world right now. Okay, thanks for your analysis and your thoughts on it. I appreciate it a lot today. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk soon.